Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. It's good to be back with the first Data Busters podcast of the 2022-23 academic year. And with October half-term fast approaching, life seems to be coming at us faster than ever. With another change of government, the fourth education secretary in 12 months, and so much going on in the wider world, it's hard to keep up. So it's good to be able to focus on what we know best, helping you to make sense of your data. In this episode, we're looking at Key Stage 2 statutory data and the tricky question of assessment of the wider curriculum. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools, and joining me as always is Jamie Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator and all-round data guru. Hello, Jamie. I hope that you are well today. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm all right. Excellent. Sat here in my house as usual. Well, exactly. And are you by any chance slightly cold because you haven't got any heating on? You know, I'm going to fess up here. I did actually put the heating on for about half an hour earlier. I really, exactly. It's quite extraordinary when you when you start focusing, as with all things, if you've got yeah. good data, um, you can use that data <laughs> to inform your actions. And uh, yeah. I've, I've certainly been very aware of the data around the energy use in our house. It's extraordinary when you look at, yeah, at mine. We've, we've reduced our energy use considerably, as I'm sure many people are. It's really and interesting talking... And yeah. you're cold. I'm talking to uh, children in school at the moment. Um, there are a lot of children who are going for the uh, the November challenge. And I remember I live in Yorkshire, and it's not that warm up here. And uh, and, and there's definitely a sense of uh, yeah, lots of people wearing lots of clothes. Oh right, okay. <laughs> Do you, I, 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 well, kids in primary schools, you get like uh, boys in primary schools who um, who insist on wearing shorts all year. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. They're all right. They're all right with it. I, I mean, it's like for them, it's like a challenge to see if you can wear shorts all the way through every single day from reception to the day you leave exactly i've had i think i'm thinking of uh, the children in the in the 20 odd years i've been teaching now i think i've had three exactly and they've all been boys as it happens i mean i'm sure that girls might take the challenge up as well all been boys who yeah wore shorts the whole way through mainly because somebody had challenged them when they were in reception or year one and they just basically i know i know one who did a friend a friend's son did it um, it's very impressive so they'll be all right won't they they'll and, um, exactly they'll be fine. Oldies. exactly and it's quite warm in school at the moment i have to say because you know because oh, we're still just about um, heating things but certainly outside of things it's not we're not particularly warm other than that though i, I hope that you're uh, um keeping busy getting in out of uh, schools and visiting and talking to people out and talking to people i've uh, done a few talks recently to uh, rooms full of uh, senior leaders and head teachers which has been nice um talking about results uh, mm. talking about progress measures talking about new accountability methodology which we're going to talk about today um so it's yeah it's been it's been good well exactly i think I mean, this is going to be an interesting um, podcast because we're things are uh, things are so back to normal we've even got strange and interesting myth things which seem to be developing which we'll come to ah, in a little bit but well. let us start off with um, let's just have a look at um, so it's first pod for us for the year um, let's have a look at uh, statutory data and how things have changed now that we're into this new year and we've got the statutory data from last year and how that's changing things so if we look at um, statutory data we've got some uh, we've had some key stage one key stage two well, obviously we've got GCSE A level results um, uh, yeah. in the summer it's all been quite an interesting picture hasn't it yeah so uh no surprise that everything's kind of dropped uh the, the difference in primary results and secondary results or gcse is that um gcse's kind of their their results are, are on, a, on a kind of a managed 
uh, reduction, aren't they? So exactly. So they, they they were like 2019, just kind of normal exam year. Uh, 2020, 2021, centre assessed grades. Uh, a lot of talk about grade inflation. Well, it's it's more that teachers are giving children the grades they think they should get, and not everyone in a normal year can get those grades. So you end up with a, a, a so-called grade inflation, or a, a higher percentage of children achieving those grades. And then it's uh, dropped down. And, and we, we were looking at this earlier with the infographic um, the DfE produced. You can see it sort of dropped down. But the plan is to get it back down, a managed, it's not a managed decline, is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a managed yeah. reduction back down to the kind of 2019 uh, level by 2023. And um, we're also looking at that, that data lab blog which shows yeah. the difference. That's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant, that blog, yeah. that, the, the, yeah. the, that, that graphic, that graph that shows uh, the difference in grades between 2019 and uh, 2021 and 2022, is it? Exactly. And, and... So we'll share these in the show notes, but if you describe yeah. then, so, so, because again, yeah. so if we go back to 2019 was the last um, set of, uh, of... So relatively uh, low. So the yep. results are relatively low. And mm. then uh, 2021, they were high, and then the 2022 is sort of, it, it's somewhere in between and, and, and it's kind of moving back. So I guess over time, we're going to see that dot. So it's, they're presenting three dots for each subject and some subjects, uh, the dots are very close, close to one another. Um, and there's not a huge difference, but in some sense, I think it was a computing um, where it's much wider apart. The difference between the, 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 2019 and 2021 results uh, is much wider. And then the, 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 the pink dot for 2022 is kind of, in yeah. between, but more closer to the 2020, so 21 than it is to 2019. So I guess that dot is going to move back towards 2019 over time. It's a really good visual, that really good way yeah. of, um, and of, it, of, of presenting it. Again, as with all you know, pictures, a uh, thousand words, you look at it and there's so much information behind that yeah, as to, yeah, yeah, as to yeah. how yeah. our education system works, how, yeah. it, how it gets distorted. Um, uh, and the difference between teacher assessment and yeah. um, uh, standardised uh, assessment. <laughs> and you see. can... Yeah, it's yeah. there in the, there in a in a nutshell. Downside to a podcast because it's trying to describe a graph. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I'll just go and look at it. It's really good. Exactly, it is a good one. So, it, so GCSE is an interesting position because if you look at 2019 to now, um, the the numbers now are slightly higher than they were in 2019. Whereas uh, in primary schools, it's slightly different. The, the, the situation in uh, in Key Stage Two because obviously we didn't publish information for yeah. 2020 and 2021. That's so. right. Yeah. So um, all results, um, phonics and key stage one and uh, key stage two results are, are down uh, since 2019. There were no there were, there were no results for 2020 and 2021. Uh, so we've got nothing to obviously compare. Unlike in secondary, we had the centre assessed grades. We don't have that information. The only assessment that did take place and we don't have national data on it is the phonics check, which was moved from the summer and they did it in the autumn instead. Nothing can and stop phonics. <laughs> stop phonics. Um, so the phonics took place in the autumn, but the difference was that it wasn't a it wasn't a, a, a test designed for that year. It was user previous years uh, schools could choose a previous year's test. Um, so uh, I think phonics, it was 2019 was 82% or 81% met the expected standard. And this year it's dropped to 75%. So we saw a six or seven percentage point uh, drop there. Um, day 
stage one, uh, we've also seen uh, drops. And I think the percentage that achieve greater depth, I think that's dropped by seven percentage points in all subjects. So a big sort of drop there in terms of that sort of greater depth. Uh, key stage two, the percentage achieving expected standards in reading, writing and maths combined was 59%, um, which is the lowest it's been since uh, 2016 when it was 56%. So... Um, I, I, and I'll I, just put in a slight editorial there. And don't forget, that's, of course, the measure which the government has decided that by 2030, um, pupils um, are expected, we're expecting, what was it, 90% of 90, pupils? 90. <laughs> so uh, I think okay. the theory is that, um, I think the theory yeah. is, uh, the thinking behind this is there's probably about 10% of children nationally who, because of uh, various sort of special education needs, they probably wouldn't be expected to meet expected standards. Uh, many of those wouldn't be taking the test, um, sitting the test, they're below the standard of the test. So therefore, you know, why not? 90% should, should therefore meet it, which kind of makes sense. But uh, when you look at where we are now and where they want to get to, 59% to 90%, that's just you can so, see that a long way off, isn't it? There's a good political reason for putting that kind of thing in place. But again, for most of us in education, I think we should just get on with doing our, our best. But as yeah. you say, the, but those numbers have changed and they've gone down. So yeah. in primary school, we've got this interesting yeah. situation, whereas in, I say in secondary, you're seeing things are gradually going back to where they were. Yeah. For us in primary, things have dropped. And and therefore, I, I'm, my expectation is that is that things will gradually increase as as schools um, uh, feel more confident, because one of the really interesting things is what's happened in writing, which has changed in a way that was, uh, you might not necessarily have anticipated unless you know a lot about the way which people assess writing. Yeah, so I I don't know if I, I I tweeted the graph recently on this, which just showed it compared reading results to writing results at key stage two over the last year, so national percentages. And writing has been above reading since 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, it was above. So writing results were quite, quite a bit higher than reading results. And then we get the 2022 Key Stage 2 results and it's flipped. And now we have reading above writing. And in fact, the reading results, this is really interesting. Uh, and, and I'd like to get to the bottom of why, well, maybe you can offer your opinions on this, why this is. The reading results are the second highest they've been. So the highest, I think they reached 75% in 2018. They dropped to 20, 73% in 2019. And in 2022, after the two-year kind of period of interruption, um, it's now 74%. So it's yeah. a little bit higher, one percentage point higher than the previous results in, in 2019. Second highest that we've, we've seen, writing results are right down in the 50s, I think. I should look this up. Um, but yeah, I, I will. I will look it up. I will look it up. So I'm yeah. gonna. I'm gonna look at my writing. very helpful and informative. Um, yeah. Have you got it in front of you? I have. Yeah. So writing dropped. Sixty nine percent. Sixty nine percent. Exactly. Um, whereas yeah. previously it was up at seventy eight percent. So it was. That's uh, right. So it's yeah. quite high. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. there's a couple of things there. Then so reading. I mean, one of, there's a number of hypotheses around this. One of which is that um, during the lockdown period, um, when uh, pupils were at home. Uh, they were being supported by schools um, and parents or children were, were, were trying to access um, the curriculum. And that maybe something like maths is difficult for parents to teach, difficult for children to, yeah. to teach themselves to learn. But maybe something like reading is something that, uh, guess what, people who are good at reading are quite good at developing their ability to read. And that the, the, the reading assessment it may actually be assessing something other than 
something that can be taught. Whereas the mathematics can be possibly, you know, you have to be taught those certain mathematics skills for a lot of children. So that's one of the hypotheses that actually the reading assessment may just be an assessment of general ability of, uh, of a child to learn. Mm. So you're getting into interesting things. So that might be one thing there. It could also be that um, that schools, you know, are good at supporting reading and and were good at um, helping pupils with reading. It may also be something to do with the way which reading was um, they set the standard this year. Yeah, I'm not quite sure which of those yeah. I'd go for, but I say there's some there's some interesting hypotheses. Yeah, there. but it, but it is interesting that you know you've got these children that have had this um, period of disruption. Mm. Maths results are down. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and writing obviously is teacher assessed and not tested, but it's kind of good. And at, at, at least at last we, we sort of see that what we probably have expected to see all along, but haven't, that reading is higher than writing. Um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> finally. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think all, for, for years we've been yeah. saying higher than writing and it hasn't been. So we have like mm. four years of results where, where writing mm. is higher than, yeah. than reading. And, and, and we've talked before about some of the, um, the, the analysis again a data lab did mm. this in the first year that the results came out and i know things have sort of improved since then of, of, mm. of kind of the gap between reading and writing is narrowed mm. but uh, when they, they plotted that by local authority area and they found some local authorities had far higher reading than writing and some had far higher writing than reading and it was just like some really interesting gaps yeah. there and, i think and- yeah, exactly. And I think it's interesting because the hypothesis there is that in terms of reading, because <coughs> reading is it's a difficult term, as with all <laughs> terms in uh, English, it means lots of different things. But but if you, you separate out comprehension and decoding, uh, yes, decoding yeah. isn't isn't a, an inherent skill. It's not something which people have been doing for a very long time. So therefore, people so decoding is is something that, that, that we really do have to help ch- uh, children to learn. But mm-hmm. comprehension it's something which we've been doing since time immemorial. People have been yeah. trying to work out what other people mean. And therefore, if, if you can decode and you can get the, the words off the page, then yeah. you're just trying to work out what they mean. That possibly is something that humans are actually quite good at. And therefore, young children, yeah. you know, not all, but the majority of young children yeah. are quite good at. So therefore, reading at Key Stage 2 anyway, when children are 10, 10 11, they, yeah. they, they should be largely quite good at comprehension. Um, yeah. Whereas writing is 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 a, is a harder skill to to master because because there's intricacies in it and and people's conversational skills and ability to understand things change. So therefore, there's there's I say interesting thoughts there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, th- those are the the results. Um, mm. Now there, there was a, a there was a we're going to talk about progress measures. Mm. So that there, there are some gaps in the record, obviously. So we've got. Uh, two cohorts that are going through the system that don't have key stage two results. So those that finished in 2020 and 2021 don't have key stage two results, which obviously the knock on effect of that is that will they be able to, well, they shouldn't, they won't be able to measure progress eight for those cohorts uh, when they get to the end of, when they get to GCSE, when they get to the end of key stage four, which will be in 2025 and 2026. Um, I assume there'll be a gap in the record there. I'm not sure what else they can do um the the other thing of course is you've got two cohorts of children the current year four and five don't have um key stage one results so that means in theory they can't measure the progress for those cohorts either and we'll get on to how they're doing that this year because the last year they did have key stage one results the the year six did have key stage one the current year six have got key stage one results but the current year four and five don't so they get to the end of key stage uh, two in 2024 and 2025 without key stage one. 
Therefore, one would assume no progress measures. The reason why I say one would assume was because the DfE released some interesting data last week, which linked key stage two results to phonics prior attainment. And it exactly. Showed, we'll put this in the show yeah. notes because it's really interesting to yeah. see what they've done and think, well, why have they done this? Because yeah, they haven't why done, have before. They done this. So where they did this come before. from? It sort of mm. came out of the blue. Well, it certainly came out of the blue for me and I tweeted about it and it got mm. um, liked and retweeted a few hundred times. So I assume that that was um, only one person tweeted and said that they were aware of this, but I wasn't aware and no one else seemed to be aware of, of this. So um, I, I guess that there was some heads up. I usually keep quite a close eye on the, the DFE's data release schedule. You know, they publish mm. this, they say what's up and coming. And I guess if I'd been a bit more eagle eyed, maybe I would have seen some reference to this in the pipeline. Um, but anyway, they basically showed the percentage of children that met the phonics standard in year one that went on to meet expected standards in reading at key stage two. The percentage of children that did, uh, didn't meet the phonics standard in year one, but met it by the end of year two. So they, 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 didn't meet on the, they didn't meet the standard on the first go, but they did on the second go or by the second go. So actually it includes, I think it includes all children that went on to meet the expected standard at Key Stage 2. And then the children that, um, that didn't meet the standard at all. Oh, no, sorry, the middle group are those that did meet it in year two, that didn't meet it in year one, that did meet it in year two, that went on to achieve it. And then the third group are those that didn't meet it at all. And obviously, as you expect, is uh, a big chunk of those that met it in year one, this is the point they're trying to prove, that mm. meet it in year one, go on to meet expected standards. A much yeah. smaller group, those that met it in year two, run year one, went on to meet expected standards. And it's a very small proportion of those that don't meet it at all that went on to meet expected standards. So I guess they're trying to prove yeah. that it's vital uh, that you mm-hmm. pass the phonic standard in year one, if you want the, hot, the best chance of meeting expected standards at Key Stage 2. Weirdly, they did the same with writing. Mm-hmm. So not just reading, but they showed the percentage of children that met the phonics standard in year one that went on to meet expected standards in writing. So they've, met, they've made that sort of um, association as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I guess to, to cut a long story short, there is potential there. I don't know if they'd do this or not, but there is potential that for those cohorts that don't have key stage one result, maybe they could use their phonics score as a way of putting, you know, uh, establishing their prior attainment and calculating a progress measure. Maybe they could do that instead. Exactly. I don't know if they would, but it's possible. They might do. I think one of the other interesting things from that uh, analysis, which they've done, is to see that. Um, broadly, the, the data suggests that uh, those, for, you know, as a population, if if you're successful in the phonics screening check in yes. uh, in, in key stage one, uh, in year one, then you'll hit the um, you'll you know it's fairly consistent, sort of eighty plus percent of those children then um, uh, hit the, the expected standard for reading. Yeah. But if you do it in year two, that has been dropping. Um, yeah. And uh, and the um, if, certainly for those pupils who don't reach the standard in, in year one for the phonics screening check, then they're, they're they're increasingly less likely, and they so they struggled a bit through across from the twenty nineteen measure through to the twenty twenty one measure. Um, yeah. So, which again is is probably what you would expect, and from what we all know from the effects of the pandemic, there's pupils who find school difficult have, it's really affected them. Um, it's a similar kind of thing in the, the writing, as you say, I mean, that's a bit odd, but but then because the writing numbers have dropped anyway, the mm-hmm. writing seems to have dropped, because it was the 2017, 2018, yeah. 
um, results that they showed suggested that if you did well on the phonics check, you were okay with writing in both yeah. years, roughly to the same extent. You know, it's yeah. like ninety percent plus would, were achieving the expected standard in writing, whereas that's actually dropped down to eighty percent now, which is a drop. Anyway, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. as you say, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, it shows us what, which I think a lot of us knew, which is that pupils who struggle have struggled quite a lot through during um, the COVID pandemic, and secondly they might use this data in an interesting way in future. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, which sort of brings us on to the now. Um, the, the, the primary accountability guidance is out. Um, and it details how progress has been measured for primary schools um, uh, for the year six, 2022 cohort. Uh, that data, it, we need to you know, point out that that data is not going to be published in performance tables this year. Interestingly, the DfE have taken the decision to not publish performance tables for primary schools, but, but they have for secondary. So that, that's, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, no, no performance tables, uh, but progress measures will be, have been calculated. And in fact, schools have already accessed those through the data checking exercise. You can download those. Um, it has, it shows your progress score in reading, writing and maths. And it also shows your favorite thing, Richard, the confidence interval. Joy. Um, so it shows the confidence interval and it, it doesn't tell you if you're significantly above or below national average, but you can tell by the confidence interval. So if the confidence interval, it's got, a, it's got an upper and a lower um, limit. Uh, and if the, if the upper and the lower figure are both negative, then the DFA are going to say you're significantly below. If the, um, if the upper is positive and the lower is negative, then they're going to say you're in line or average. And if the upper and lower limits of the confidence interval are positive figures, then it has, it's entirely, the confidence interval sits entirely above zero, then they're going to say you're significantly above. No change there. In yeah. fact, really, no change to the methodology, the broad methodology at all. It's just that this is the first cohort to have their progress measured from the new key stage one results uh, working towards expected greater depth or pre-key stage if you didn't you know if you're below the sort of the curriculum standard um, rather than levels so uh, they had the, the 2019 cohort key stage two cohort had levels at key stage one um, the 2020 and 21 cohort did have these new standards but didn't have progress measured for obvious reasons there was uh, this sort of accountability hiatus um, so this is the first cohort to have the progress measured in this way it's no real different. What, no, no real difference here. What they've done is, like with levels, levels have point scores. And obviously, we all remember that a 2B was 15 points and a, you know, a 2A was 17 and a, and a level 3 was 21. Um, we, you know, we remember these things. They've done the same thing with um, working towards gets 6 points and expected gets 8 and greater depth gets 10. Um, pre-key stage foundations for the expected standard, the, pre the one pre-key stage band, because it was those interim ones. And we've now got this is this is another thing that's happened. You've got this transition from yep. away from P scales through these interim pre-key stage standards and now into this new world of um, final pre-key stage standards and the engagement models. So all that's changed as well. Anyway, there were point scores assigned to P scales and point scores assigned to the pre-key stage standard and point scores assigned to those uh those working towards expected and greater depth standards and then they work out an average they're still double weighting maths so essentially it's uh, if you want to work out your key stage one average you have to um add uh 
reading and writing divide by two plus maths divide by two, or you can add them all up and divide by four if you want, but uh, you know, it's the sort of same thing. That gives you the, the key stage one average score. It's all in there in the guidance. Um, now, that will place children into a prior attainment group. So once you've got their key stage one average score, uh, you can then place them into one of 19 prior attainment groups. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a drop on the prior attainment groups we had before under levels. We had 24 prior attainment groups and we've got 19. I do worry about this, that um, the, the vast majority of children are probably in one or two prior attainment groups because yes. we're talking about the children who are expected in reading and expected in writing and expected in maths. There's thousands of them. There's, 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 I don't know. It's probably more than half the children nationally are in that one group. So yeah. they will have an average point score of eight. And they're all going to be packed into that one, uh, that one prior attainment group. There aren't that many children in the prior attainment groups below that. And mm -hmm. then there are going to be quite a few children who I suppose are in the greater depth um, prior attainment group. Mm -hmm. uh, for broad reporting purposes, they have got the low, middle and high. So they refer to children as being low prior attainers, middle prior attainers. And so that's like three broad bands. And, and it's the sort of thing that Ofsted refer to. They go, oh, you've, you've got your lower prior and your middle and your high prior attainers. For the, for the purpose of the progress measure, there are 19 prioritainment groups, but they are packed into these sort of three low, middle, high. And that's that's for the convenience of reporting, you know, reporting to governors, reporting to schools, talking about children in quite broad terms. Basically, a child who's got a, uh, an, a key stage one APS of um, below seven is a low prioritainer. So that's children who are like working towards across the board or um, or below that. Uh, children that are uh, broadly expected across the board are going to be middle. That's between seven and eight points, key stage one. And anyone that's got above eight uh, is going to be a high prioritainer. I think if you've got expected, expected and greater depth, you'll be a high. If you're expected, expected, working towards, you'll be a middle. Uh, but if you're expected and working towards and working towards, you'll be a low, something like that anyway. But yeah. there you go. So, yeah. but really it's different numbers, but it's exactly mm. the same thing. It's no different. And then you work out the, Key stage two national average score for each prior attainment group. And that's in three columns. There's the reading benchmarks and the writing benchmarks and the math benchmarks. And each child in their particular prior attainment group is compared. Their actual result at key stage two is compared to the national average score, key stage two score for their prior attainment group. And then you work out the difference. And that's the individual progress score. And you work out that all the different children. You add them all up, divide by the number of children in the cohort. And that's the school that's the Excellent. school uh, score. So, exactly. And that's useful because that commentary that you just, uh, that, that kind of goes along with the blog because you wrote the blog post about your um, uh, value added calculators, didn't you? Yeah. Value added calculators out there. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. first time I've been able to produce that for three years. So that's out there for, to download mm. on my blog. Now I've done two versions. I've done one which closely, which, which is the, the 2022 methodology. So you can put all your children into it, uh, put their key stage one results in, their key stage two results in. Uh, that will give you the scores that you get from the checking exercise. So it will give you the aggregated score. This is your, your key stage uh, two progress scores in reading, writing, and maths. Uh, the confidence interval, whether it's SIG, SIG plus or SIG minus or average. But also you can see each individual child's sort of scores. And then what you can do is uh, you can very easily recalculate your score by taking that one particular child out that happened to... Um, you know, that, that, that typical child that arrives in March or whatever with, um, for whatever, and they get a really low priority. And you go, well, what is our, score if I remove that child, all you need to do is just like delete their key stage one results. If they haven't got key stage one results, you can't calculate progress. They're then omitted from the, the calculation. So my progress uh, thing, and it's free and it's on there. There is a second version of it, which is linked to at the end of that blog post. 
Um, and that's kind of guessing what the DfE are going to do next year, because there is a change with the transition through these um, to these new pre-key stage uh, standards. So we have to take account of different codes at key stage one. Yeah. Next year, there'll be different codes at key stage one. So I've just basically bodged it. Yeah. This is what I think they'll do, but it's not necessarily bang on accurate. But if you wanted to put your current year six into it, it would um, sort of have a go at calculating it. I warn you, yeah. this is not, this is guesstimating. No, that's fair enough. Exactly. Good stuff. So I, I think I, I, that's a, a decent overview of, you know, kind of where we are with such assessment, you know, the, the, those tools that you've developed um, and just a bit of a sense as to the, the national picture, which has been interesting and will continue to be interesting as we move forward. Because, again, things are getting more normal in school and therefore you can expect, yeah. we, you know, one would hope that, uh, that, you know, the results that we get from assessments this year will be more like the 2019 results because, the, you know, because of the way the benchmarking works and so on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Good. So the other thing that is interesting at the moment is the fact that we're also we're clearly getting back to normal because because um, we've got interesting new uh, myths building. So one of the things I wanted to discuss was the this assessing the wider curriculum issue, um, yeah. which has bubbled through. And as with so many things in the school system, lots yeah. of people have been talking about it recently. There's been a lot of chat on Twitter and there's lots of been discussion um, in person discussions. It's certainly happened in the schools, which I'm in. Um, but it did seem to come from nowhere. Um, how, how did you pick up on it? Did you? Has it come through well, to just, you as well? It's just, it's just a noise on Twitter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Michael Tidd um, uh, uh, posted yeah. an interesting thing saying, this is interesting. This is from one of the assess- um, from a, for an Ofsted report. Um, and I know that, that would, lots of people were then saying, yeah, we've, we've heard this as well because there have been a few things from Watchstead, School Dash. Um, I noticed that Chris Quigley is doing some training, for example, yeah. on assessing the wider curriculum because yeah. they picked up that uh, that organization's picked up the fact that people are interested in this. So I think it's one of those things that's worth addressing firstly to say, this is when it's really useful for Ofsted to come in and say, um, you know, to, to try and deal with myths that come yep. up. Um, and then the second thing is to say, is this something that you, that, you know, what, what, how would we advise people if you're going to assess the wider curriculum, particularly in primary, um, in yeah. key stage three, what, what would you be, we be suggesting? I, I, I worry about this because I remember a few years ago, mm. uh, there was someone tweeted some screen grabs from an Ofsted report that this mm. was, this was years ago. Yeah. Uh, talking about how the school needed to develop tracking. Now, obviously, Ofsted don't talk about tracking anymore, but this will be the knock-on effect. Mm. The, the school needs to develop tracking for other subjects to the same high standard as they currently do in, in reading, writing, and maths. Mm. And typically, this school had a system in place uh, mm. where they they were using criteria-driven sort of assessment with lots of um, learning objectives in the tracking system that they would then grade and score and tick off. Um, and, and that, as we've talked about before, can be uh, an onerous task at the, you know, at the best of times where teachers are ticking off each of those individual sort of statements for reading and for writing and for maths. That's quite a common approach. Uh, they've met it. They've nearly met it. They've exceeded it, whatever. Um, and that back then when that i remember that statement that those those screen grabs came out on twitter and then people start panicking about oh god this is what Ofsted are looking for and of course think so what we're currently doing for reading writing and maths that takes me ages i've now got to do for history and geography mm. and art and pe and, and sure enough we ended up seeing that sort of so-called foundation subjects in in primary suddenly we see this spread this uh this burgeoning of these tracking processes applied to those subjects as well. So that's, that's what worries me is that these fairly ineffective time consuming um, 
practices that probably don't really tell people very much uh but it gives people this kind of comfort that they've done something that they've got some they've got some spanks of statements and they they tick those off so in terms of assessing the wider curriculum that worries me that it exactly falls down that dark path i think it worries me too. I think there's a couple of things which I would say is that firstly, um, there is there are some things that Ofsted have um, officially published, which are useful yeah. because there are some unofficially yeah. published <laughs> Ofsted stuff that we've also had that's turned up recently, but officially published. So they've done um, curriculum research reviews, which they've published um, over the last year for each of the subject areas. Okay. Um, and uh, in I'll put those in the show notes as well. And it's worth knowing that um, for each of those um, uh, research reviews. They've also looked at, so they've, they've done them by you know, so English, history, music, geography, languages, mm. maths. Um, each of those have got an area on res- assessment. And again, um, if you're in school and you're, somebody's pressuring you to, to consider assessing the wider curriculum, it's worth going to those Ofsted reviews and, and looking at what they say, because they'll okay. large, mostly yeah. they say yeah. summative assessment in geography and history um, is time consuming, difficult, and make sure that you've read all of the workload reports and making data work and yeah. you're not doing anything silly. So, yeah. so you can use Ofsted's own guidance to say, arm yourself. actually, yeah. arm yourself. Exactly. Um, we're, we're not doing it. We're not doing a lot because because it probably would be inaccurate. It would probably be misleading and would take loads of time. Um, my suggestion is that lots of schools have done lots of work on on curriculum. Um, and if you've done your whole curriculum review and lots of um, schools will have done, and if you've put quizzes and assessments in to your curriculum, yeah. so if you've got materials for using those, um, so if you do, you know, whatever subject, the Egyptians in history in, in year three, then, uh, and you use some kind of quiz, I think it's reasonable to then say to the year four teacher, yeah. right, just so that we've gathered some information, it would be useful for you and for us to know, can you give them this quiz again? It will take a few minutes, get them to market, and then take that back in, and then use that for your assessment of, of curriculum. Something yeah. simple like yeah. that, that it is a bit onerous. It's a bit um, audit culture. But if, you, if you're if you looking for doing something quick and easy, I would do that. So if you've got that kind of thing in place, do that. But whatever you do, don't put huge amounts of effort into it and don't assess it the way yeah, you do yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely. the core subjects. Um, so, yeah, yeah just, just consider, we talk about this a lot, consider the impact on workload, um, and it, it needs to be uh, balanced in favour of impact on learning, on impact on the children's education. Uh, so rather than impact on teachers' workload, you know, that's where it, it and, and if, if it's just be honest, you know, if you think, well, why are we doing this? It's not having any impact on children's learning at all. Then don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, on, on the subject of quizzing, I'll uh, shout out to, um, I'm going to make a shout out to Carousel here. So uh, we, we did do a webinar with, with them recently and they've now rolled out Carousel. Uh, we're not getting paid for this. Uh, we're, we're, they, they've rolled out Carousel Primary. Uh, they've got uh, big statement banks, uh, sorry, question banks that it's building all the time. So you can, if you've got, if you've got access to that system, it's worth checking out. You, there are there are loads of quizzes that you can build from them for, for from there for all subjects um, and all all kind of stages and ages. So and uh, that would be a perfect way of creating yeah. a quiz yeah, for yeah. you know if you, again because if you've got a, a curriculum that you've done all this work on now and you want to do some quizzes then do them online and you could gather that in Carousel and I think do that in subsequent years that would be a good and effective yeah. way of assessing the wider curriculum and how and that would so, be quick yeah. in it could yeah. be you know that, yeah. that you can use. Um, there's yeah. a community there of uh, people um, exactly. uh, storing, adding questions into that, mm. and then you can you can access those. So you don't necessarily have to devise your own, but your own. But if you do devise uh, your own, then you can put those in to share with people. Yeah. Uh, so it's a good little community. And then if you want your 
year three Egyptian questions, then you can yeah. access those from there. As it's, uh, exactly. Effective. And then yeah. if you go back to our last podcast where we were looking at how do you support children who, who do um, struggle in school um, and you know, may be not making the development you want them to, you know, you can go back and think about that still. OK, so in the you know, you could begin to do this because it probably makes sense in history and geography um, in science to recognize that some pupils um, have found that, that that subject historically difficult and therefore may need some further support in, in later years. And it would be useful in year five to know, OK, of this group here, these pupils here have struggled in these wider um, curriculum yeah. things. But just make sure whatever you're doing, it's it's um, it's time effective um, and, yeah. and doesn't take too much time. Yeah. Excellent. Good. So I think that's useful. Um, the only thing, other thing which I'm going to plug is the fact that uh, we did a, um, the podcast which we did um with Kieran um, yeah. on um, thinking deeply about primary education, which that came yeah. out earlier this week. So yes, I'll put again link to that as well. That's uh, that, that was really good to do, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. It was good. It was uh, us being being interviewed, which was interesting. Yeah, it's a good experience. I really enjoyed it. I, exactly. I, I hope. I think we made some good points. Yeah, no, I will put that in there. So if people want to listen to that as well, that's much longer than one of these ones. So we did, we, we got to talk for ages here. Um, so, um, so but you, uh, go back to that one. But I think that for that, um, I say lots of things to think about in terms of statutory education, in terms of these myths that come through, uh, you know, how you might want to deal with those, those, those things. So don't do too much. Don't spend too long on these things. So there you have it. The Data Busters podcast is published monthly during the academic year, and it's available on all good podcast outlets. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to others. Uh, and if you've got any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording or contact us on Twitter, either me at Data Busting or Jamie at Jay Pembroke. So there we are. Um, Jamie, have you got much coming up? What's, what are you, what's keeping you busy? I've got some, uh, I'm doing some, some events, some sessions on primary assessment and accountability. I've got three plans so far uh, in November, one in Cheltenham, which is nearly full. I think I've got a few spaces left. One down in Portishead, fancy a day out in Portishead. So if you're a sort of a Bristol-based North Somerset uh, school and you want to come and listen to me uh, rant for the day about all things, uh, that's on the that's at uh, St. Peter's Primary in Portishead on the 17th. And then I am in Solihull the following week. So it's 22nd, I think, um, Coles Hill Heath uh, Primary. Uh, so it, it's basically um, an update on some of the things we've been talking about, update on results and primary accountability, uh, looking at some of the issues around that, around sort of using teacher assessment for um, these sort of high stakes accountability measures and bias and distortion in data. Uh, looking at standardized tests. So uh, I've got a, a, a session on, on looking at standardized tests in, in quite a lot of detail. If you use standardized tests or you think about that, then that would be really useful. And then finally, the final session uh, of the day will be on, on tracking systems, getting the most out of your tracking system. Obviously, we'll be talking about insight a bit, um, but how to use a tracking system effectively and the sort of the do's and don'ts around that. So there we go. I've got three of those organized and I'm intending to organize some more in the in the north of England as well. And hopefully we'll get the data busters back at some point as well. 
Exactly. We'll get the data busters going again. I, I, so I'm busy doing lots of school improvement work. So I work with mats. I work with schools um, in Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2, Key Stage 3. Um, and I work on um, special educational needs development. So, on. so I'm doing lots of different things there. I'm also doing some work developing um, some assessments for the um, independent schools examination body. So there's lots of things going on there. But data busters, again, so we'll be hopefully rolling out. If you do want us to put on a, a data busting day near you, yep. please get in touch and we'll see what we can do. Um, and don't forget, um, Data Proof Your School, which is our summary uh, of lots of uh, our thoughts on what you should be doing with your data. That's available now. Um, uh, and let us know what you think about our solutions for schools. Again, please do get in touch. So until next time, we hope that our discussions here have helped you to understand the latest Key Stage 2 data, statutory data in general, and given you a good insight into assessing the wider curriculum. Uh, and until we meet again, keep data busting.